0: hey coach welcome to the basketpedia podcast i'm your host mark hart and on this episode we have coach mike winters who is on system basketball previously he did a hybrid press clinic um I'll leave that link if you're interested in learning about Coach's Hybrid Press Clinic, but on this podcast we discussed his journey on the hardwood. He has just released a book that is available out on Amazon and all the major uh, book publishing companies. So that link will be for you, will be in the sh- Hey everybody, welcome to the Basketballia podcast. I'm your host Mark Hart with System Basketball. Today I have Mike Winters of Harlem Huskies High School. Um, how are you doing today, Coach? How's everything where you're at?
1: Hey, I'm doing great. We're still on summer vacation. Uh, life is good. Uh,
0: well, I had you on, I think it was la- last week or two weeks ago, and we discussed hybrid press. Um, today, uh, we're going to kind of dive into like your coaching philosophy and your journey because... Um, you have a book coming out. Um, do you want to let us know a little bit about uh, the book? Why the book? Um, I mean, all of us have our journeys. I've, I've been coaching 24 years. You've been doing it longer, I think, than I have. Um,
1: 25, yeah, 25.
0: W- why the book, coach?
1: Well, you know, it really started, I, I, first of all, I love helping young coaches. I mean, I started when I was really young. I was 20 years old, and I was coaching freshman boys basketball, so I was, you know, five, six years older than the guys I was coaching, Um, and I just, you know, the, the pandemic was a big part of it when we're sitting there in November and there's no basketball practice and and I've got all this free time, um, just decided it was time to to throw something together that just uh, was just a culmination of, of 25 plus years in, in the game and everything I learned and really everything I wish I knew, you know, 27 years ago when I started that journey, I've been coaching for 25, a couple years where I, where I didn't coach, um. And, uh, you know, partly because I was burned out a little bit. And, uh, and you know, you know a little bit about that. And, and I think all coaches do and uh, maybe how to avoid that as well. So it, it really was about um, just, the, you know, the titles, the journey, lessons from the heart, but everything I've learned over 25 plus years. And um, just a kind of a, a culmination of, of uh, how I've gotten to where I am. This is what I do. This is why I do it. This isn't necessarily the way you need to do it. And that's one of the things I love about the game is you and I can, can take two, we can go 180 degrees the opposite direction in our approach and you can be really good with your team and I can be really good with my team. And that's, what's so awesome about our game. And, um, so, you know, just, just the opportunity to help coaches. Um, you know, some coaches are, are all coaches are passionate about kids. I'm also passionate about coaches. I've been helped by some amazing people uh, along the way and just kind of a pay it forward opportunity and, and, uh, uh just, uh, just really excited to get it out there and, and uh, get it in people's hands and, and hopefully start helping people.
0: A big hot topic out there as coaches, Um, depending on who you listen to and and, and read on Twitter or whatever, people say players have changed. Um, I'm on the belief that players have changed to an extent because there's more things that they can do compared to maybe when me or you played. There wasn't Twitter. There wasn't Instagram. We still had video games. We still had things that we could do. But I think parents have changed more than the players what is your thoughts and opinions on when you hear "Oh, I can't really get through to these kids anymore kids have changed players have changed what is your thoughts on that
1: you know I think when you and I were kids all we had was our dad telling us how bad we were and uh, and, and our coaches telling us how much better we could be or how bad we are and, and now these kids are being pumped up from every direction so yeah, I think they've changed a little bit, but I agree with you. I think parents have changed a lot. I think uh, I think our profession, the way it's viewed, is, is different. Um, I think it's, well, you're not telling me what I want to hear, so I'm going to move on to the next guy. And I think you see that in the NCAA transfer portal right now. I mean, how many kids are, are in that portal every year, and they just they don't get what they want, so they move on? They don't um, uh, They're not being – there's fewer parents, I think, pushing kids to fight through adversity. Uh, instead, let's just run away and go to go, go where we want to go and get what we want to get. And, um, you know, I'm still really old school when it comes to, I, I tell my players, look, you can come talk to me about playing time, you can come talk to me about these things, but be ready to hear the truth, because I'm going to tell you, you know, exactly what you need to hear. And I think we're in a little better spot as high school coaches, because it's harder for kids to just run somewhere else. Um, the AAU circuit, it's easy for them to go somewhere else. You know the high school circuit they've got a they've got our parents committed to, to moving uh finding a way to get to a different school so it's a little harder for them so i think we we are still able to be kind of old school more so than everybody else but yeah i think parents are they're more involved in the process they're more involved in the process because they've got more money tied up in the process than, than the old days um there was not a lot for for my parents to spend money on in terms of, of me playing basketball i went to went to maybe a basketball camp in the summer every summer and that was about it. Um, so I think they feel like they deserve to be or are entitled to be more involved in the process because of the amount of money they're spending. Um, don't necessarily agree with that, but I think that's maybe part of their thought process.
0: Okay. Um, as you were writing the book, um, who, who was the book designed to reach?
1: Uh, that's a good question. I I really think anybody, uh, that coaches can take something away from. That's my hope at least. And in my mindset, I talk about, you know, going to clinics when I was younger and even today and how that's changed. Like when I was younger, I didn't know anything. Not that I know, you know everything now, but I, I would write everything down and I would just keep filing cabinets full of, of all of my notes from clinics. Now, you know, I've been around a long time. I go to a clinic for a different reason. I go to hang out with my coaching staff. You know, I, I go to take them to, to, so they can learn. Um, you know, They get excited about seeing Roy Williams or somebody speak. Um, I get less excited about that because I've seen it before. But I still, there's never a clinic where I don't take away one or two things that we implement immediately in that next season upcoming. So you know, my mindset with this is I, I hope everybody can take at least one thing away. Um, really, a, a lot of the book is about questioning whoever the reader is about their beliefs on certain topics to help them get to where they want to be you know, when you start coaching, you're always doing everybody else's stuff. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's coach K's drill. It's Bobby Knight's drill. It's what they run it. It's got to be good enough for me. I'm at a point now where I don't really use many of anybody else's drills. I just make up what we need based on what our game film is showing me that we need, you know, and it's, it's developing that confidence to, to just kind of get to where you're really satisfied with your philosophy versus using everybody else's things. And you know, I obviously understand there's, there's, there's no original ideas. Like, you're, you're using stuff that you've borrowed and tweaked, and I'm using stuff that I've borrowed and tweaked. But I think that's, that's a big part of, the, of it for me is helping younger coaches and even even more experienced coaches in certain areas may take away things like, huh, I never really thought about building you know, this part of my philosophy based on these questions and answers. And um, I think every time you – you know, you and I were talking before we started it's about a, a, a matchup press and just a, one different idea in there – and how you're intrigued by it. And I think that's kind of what my hope is, um, is that, that it triggers that thought process to help coaches build their philosophy uh, to where they want it to be versus, you know, just stuff that they like that other people have done.
0: I mean, you've been at it 25 years. Um, I'm sure philosophy's changed a little bit and so forth. What coaches have influenced you throughout your career?
1: Well, I think, um, you know, my first clinic and, and I, let everybody know where I'm at. I'm in northern Illinois, so I'm like right below the Wisconsin border, north central Illinois. We're about an hour west of Chicago, about an hour and a half from Milwaukee and about probably an hour from Madison, Wisconsin. So the University of Wisconsin is actually closer to me than the University of Illinois is. And my first clinic was Dick Bennett. And I think Dick Bennett is that guy that some younger coaches today probably don't even realize they're using a lot of his stuff. Um, you know, if you're, if you're a no-middle guy, you know and and the crazy thing is dick bennett not only uh is a no middle guy he's a he's a pack defense guy as well he's done both and uh dick bennett's if you haven't researched him it's just a great guy to go back and look at all of his old videos and things but the push defense is what he started with when he coached high school and dick bennett came up through the high school ranks in in wisconsin d3 and up to d1 and 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 finally in the big 10 and you know, he started off as a push guy where he's fanning everything to the outside and denying reversals, and then he gets to the Big Ten at Wisconsin, and, and guys are so athletic that they're getting killed off of that. So he, he actually switched and developed that pack defense, that pack line defense, where we are forcing middle now. And uh, at the high school level, I still run the old push. I still fan around the outside. I still pressure. We still deny reversals. Um, but I think there's some some elements there defensively that a lot of coaches are probably using that don't realize that that's a, that's a Dick Bennett influence. And then offensive, there's a lot of motion principles. Um, you know, as a young coach, I tried to teach a lot of motion, but I didn't really know you know, how to do it. And the first time I saw Ben Dick at Clinic, there's some really simple rules where, like, you're not a scorer, so you're going to be a blocker. You're going to be a screener primarily. You are a scorer, so you're going to use the screeners. And every time you make a pass, you've got to set a screen, uh, set one screen even as a mover. And the, the blockers had designated areas. The screeners had designated areas, so those movers knew where to find them. And there was some, some continuity uh, in the, in the motion offense where you knew where to go and how to use a certain screener and things like that. So, uh, Dick Bennett was a huge one for me. And that was just a, so my first clinic was, was UW. Um, it was Friday night with their coaching staff. It was like 6 PM to nine thirty PM. Uh, the next morning it was about three more hours in the classroom, two hours on a court and then the Wisconsin football game afterwards. So it was like, man, you're not talking about falling in love with the game and a guy who, um, was just just a phenomenal coach, um, and obviously I think most people probably know Tony Bennett out of Virginia. That's that's Dick Bennett's son, um, and using a lot of his dad's uh, stuff. So that was that was a big one for me. That was probably my first uh, first really big uh, influence as far as coaching goes. And um, you know, and being a Wisconsin guy, then they followed with Bo Ryan, and, and Bo Ryan. I don't know how many people are, are big on Bo Ryan. or You're out in California, but Bo Ryan was just a just fantastic at taking less talent and making them collectively so much better. And, um, you know, I'm not a big swing offense guy. Uh, that was Bo Ryan's thing. So I, but I just loved his, his, uh, his philosophy, his, his approach. Um, had the opportunity to meet him a few times at clinics and, and attending Wisconsin games. And so another guy just just been really heavily influenced by Wisconsin. Um, yeah, Rick Patino was one that was big for me young. I, I read um, Success is a Choice. Uh, that book had a, a huge impact on me early on. Um, Pete Carrill was a big one for me. The smart take from the strong. Again, just reading uh, some of these books early on, and that's another thing I love. And the reason why I decided to write a book, I've just I've been influenced by in so many positive ways by so many great coaches and authors. That uh, uh, just,
0: I'm rereading uh, it. I think I, I, post, I posted this the other day it is, that I'm I'm posted that. I'm rereading it. So it's here's the here's the hilarious thing. I opened it up and the receipt of when I bought this book
1: still
0: in was in there and you're talking about your younger days and when you wanted to be a sponge and learn everything yep. so i'm looking at this right now november 6th 1998
1: um, that's right so about my that story. was my
0: i started my coaching career in 96 so i was it was my second or third year as like a jv coach so yep. and and your dick bennett and your bo ryan uh influences um I remember watching the old school online, up the line. Um and like you said, people didn't realize he was a he was a pressure coach. He, he
1: was and I, I think we're kinda of in the middle. Like we, we we fan outside and we force baseline, but we we're in the gaps though. Because I think it's kind of a we've kind of met halfway between the pack and the we still we're still no middle. But uh, we sit more in the gaps a little more. As long as they're moving into to the wing and to the baseline, we're good with that. Um the no only time we will really fight that reversal is up top, so um, but, yeah, that's. I think that's a lot of, of – I think, again, back to my point, I think a lot of coaches are doing a lot of, of Dick Bennett stuff and don't even realize they're doing it. So um, just definitely something for young coaches to dive into.
0: A real quick one with it is you mentioned uh, Bo Ryan and you mentioned Bennett, the blocker mover and the swing. Um, yeah. Growing up in my first few years coaching, because it's all I knew, we ran flex. So uh, Bo Ryan's swing is basically, in my eyes, an inverted uh, flex. It is, yeah. Um, why do you think the continuity has kind of died in high school is it just trends that we we copycat what's popular in the college and the nba ranks
1: yeah i think copycat is big in basketball and football both obviously i think that's i think that's part of it i think uh you know i think you look at the success golden state had in that run and everybody's like man that's fun to watch and, and of course you know threes are threes are sexier than mid-range jump shots and and all those things that kind of become byproducts of continuity offense have gone away i also think it's become about uh tailoring more to the player and i think i'll go back to the parents like Mm -hmm. i think there's more pressure on coaches to to play the way players enjoy because of that that you know that that mentality that we're just going to move on we're going to go somewhere else we're not getting what we want i think i think coaches have felt more pressure uh to to do the things that players enjoy to try to keep everybody happy i think it's been it's become more and more difficult i think for all of us um and again i refer the NCAA transfer portal it's pretty obvious right there you know um that that and i think that's part of that aau culture where where there's a team right up the road i can go play on if i if you're not going to give me enough shots or enough playing time you know i'll just go somewhere else and um Parents have allowed that and uh, it's just it's it's a reality and that's one of the things I talk about in the book, just how I'm trying to coexist with AAU right now as a high school coach and you know, how my thought processes have changed on that over the years and, and trying to trying to cooperate with it. The plus, there's pluses and minuses with all of that, I think.
0: Yeah, you were talking with a little bit of social media with players nowadays. You're talking about the transfer portal. I mean I'm not sure how it is in Illinois. We we get quite a bit of transfers here in California and Kids are announcing on social media where they're transferring to. Like, yeah, it's, it's not, not in college. Right. No, in, my I, I'm playing my senior year here. And I'm like...
1: A kid, uh, we had a kid here in town that moved to Ohio. <laughs> and uh, it was a family situation. It wasn't just for basketball. But he, he did that. He, he had a, a, an announcement on Twitter <laughs> that also basically had him wearing the school's uniform and the, the background like this and, and all this stuff. And announced that he was going there. And long story, I mean, he, he ended up getting ruled ineligible. I mean, the the state association saw that, and they're just like, you just you just can't name it, it as
0: athletic motivated.
1: I've had I, you know I have parents that you know as a coach, every once in a while you get a parent reach out to you from out school saying, hey, I want my kid to transfer, and it's just and it's, yeah, I just kind of say, you know, I said uh, I said this is really not something we can discuss. I said if your son is enrolled, let me know that, and then we'll talk about what's next, but try to really stay away from that because i you know i love my job way too much to get caught up in anything like that and and um you know transfers happen and and sometimes we're the beneficiary sometimes it's it's the opposite side where the kids are leaving your program but um yeah it's just really been a part of the culture unfortunately
0: this is your how many schools have you coached at varsity west
1: this is my fifth yeah this is my fifth different high school i've been at um you know, and that's part of the journey too is in, in my situation uh, my wife is also a teacher so we've moved a couple of times really uh, for a job one one time it was for her one time it was for me where my teaching job kept getting eliminated there's been you know anybody that's that's a teacher slash coach kind of has probably been through their share of that over the years and um you know i've always kind of laid on my feet it's always worked out where i've ended up at a, a better program than when i left um but, um, yeah, there's, it's been, uh, there's been a few times we've had to pick up a move just, just because of uh, where we lived or where my, my wife is an elementary art teacher, so in her case, you know, there's one job per school in a lot of, a lot of these cases, and, and we were living in Dixon, Illinois, when I was coaching in Rock Falls, which is a pretty small area, and the school district decided to cut the elementary art program altogether. So, we're in a kind of a rural area, not a real big town, and there's not many opportunities for her, so... I left a great program in Rock Falls back in 2010 to come back to the Rockford area where we're from just because there's more opportunities, bigger school districts, bigger metropolitan area, and, and obviously more opportunities for an art teacher. So there's going to be things along the way, and it's, you know everybody wants to settle in and be at that one spot for 30 years as a high school coach. That's kind of your dream, but it's, it's tough to do these days.
0: Um, so you've done it five different times. Um, do you have like a blueprint, like year one, I want to do this? get this accomplished? Are you typically, when you're taking over the programs, has your experience been that they've had down years and you had to build them? Or have you taken over programs that were already established?
1: I think I've done both. Um, you know, I took over Rockford Jefferson, uh, in 2004, the, my first head coaching job at Oregon high school, the teaching job was eliminated the first year. They had some huge deficits budget wise and everybody in the district three years or less, got let go so i was moved on i moved on back to my alma mater actually rockford jefferson's where i graduated from and i had been an assistant there for seven years it just happened to open up and we had a ton of talent i mean just too much talent to the point where we we cut probably our two or three best point guards because their attitudes were bad their grades were bad um there's just too much talent we had to kind of trim it back and focus on who we could really who we thought we can really build around and win with Um, And that was back in the, you know, in Illinois, Illinois used to have a, it was a one class system until 1972. It became a two class system in 72. It stayed two class until 2007. I think it went to four classes. So back in, that was still the two class system. So in the big school, you had 375 schools starting your state tournament, you know, so you had to win eight games to win it. Um, So that group, we we were able to take fourth in the state uh, back in the old two class system in Illinois. so that team was was kind of ready to go. There was, now culture wise it was bad. We had no we had no uh, nothing to draw off of in the history. It was a fairly new school. The culture just hadn't been great. Um, and uh, so the talent wise that one was ready to win. Culture wise it wasn't. Um, then you fast forward to a place like Boiling Catholic in, in Illinois, which was one of the best programs in the state for years and years. And when I took over, to the talent was really down for Boiling, but you still had the opportunity to draw off all this incredible history and this culture and. You know, so that rebuild was was a different rebuild. Than, and, and now I'm at Harlem High School. I took over a school where my kids go, and uh, Harlem has no tradition in terms of winning. Uh, we won a regional in the year two in 2019, and that was the second one since like 1972 that they had won. And um, a regionals. that's our first tournament in Illinois. So um, I, I've had a little bit of everything. One of the things I, I always try to do, and I started as at Rock Falls. When I took over Rock Falls, it was a program where, we had nine seniors returning. They had been a a, a small school in the two class system. They were the biggest small school in the state for years, and the state dropped the cutoff by fifteen students. The cutoff went from seven fifty to seven thirty five, and we were at seven forty one. So they were moving up to the big schools, and the head coach left and uh i was at jefferson still i got my my position got eliminated two years in a row you know we just come back from going to state and i still don't have a teaching job again and i'm like my wife is already teaching at dixon so i applied at rock falls and the guy's like you know the last guy left because we're going up a class i'm like yeah i know i've seen the film we'll be fine so they were a set play team um and one of the things that uh that we did was you know, they had so much tradition. They were a little little bit lost in, in the, the fact their coach left and they had to go compete in some big schools and they weren't sure they could do it. And uh, the first day I met them, I just basically said, show me everything you guys run offensively. And I just had a, a legal pad. I said, I want to see everything. And uh, I just took notes and I just watched it. I'm like, I like that, I don't like that. I like that, I like that. And I said, all right, we'll keep a lot of that stuff. And the kids were like, really? You're not gonna just come in and change it all? I'm like. Man, we're really good at it. You know, you guys are really good at it. We've got this thing established, you, and we, we had such a high IQ team. Most of the offense was the previous coach's offense. The kids were just—they were so good at it. We had a seven-footer. We had three shooters. We had a, a kid that was a—he um, he was a Pac-10 pitcher of the year um, in 2011. After he graduated, he went on. He was just a stud of an athlete. So. Like I'm just not gonna rock the boat here. Let's just let's figure out what works. And uh, didn't mean I didn't add my own tweaks and things like that, but um this is one of the things I wrote about in the book is that you know have an open mind when you take over a program because there might be some things they already do really well uh, that can give you a running starter. So I think I've had a different approach everywhere. It's, it really is about analyzing the situation. Uh, look at the history. Look at the players they have coming back. Look at look at the off the X's and O's. What are they doing well? What do they not do well? Interview the kids. Talk to the kids. Find out what they like. Um, I've never really been about we're going to win this way or we're going to win that way. I, I let my players dictate that. I've always been that way. And, um, you know, as a result, I've run a lot of different things over the years. And, um, you know, again, that's a big part of my belief is that we, there's a lot of ways to win high school games. It's, it's, a lot of it is about buying getting kids to buy in and understand and believe and I think there's a lot of different ways to attack that.
0: Well, that was leading into it, and you touched on it, is how has the offensive philosophy and defensive philosophy changed from early on in your days to now?
1: That's, that's a lot of what I wrote about as well, and I, I try to explain this to coaches throughout the book, and, and this is how I got from point A to point B. I, I was a I was a Dick Bennett mover blocker guy. I was a motion guy early on. Um, I liked the unpredictability of it. Uh, I grew to where I hated the unpredictability of it. I wanted, you know, there's things that I liked that I, 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 that I saw that kids didn't always recognize right away. Um, I've tried to read and react before. I spent a year on that at Rock Falls. Um, the read and react has been great for me as a coach, but I don't run it as an offense. It, it, it made me a better teacher. Um, I still do a lot of the breakdown drills as far as offensive stuff goes. I like the habits that they build. Again, I hate the fact that kids don't always see what I see and we can't always take advantage of a matchup or a situation immediately. Like I want to take advantage of it. So I've evolved to, we'd run a ton of quick hit stuff. Um, and I think rock falls really influenced me on that. That's kind of what they're, what they were doing at the time. Um, we'll run, we'll have, by the end of the season, we'll have 30, 30 quick hitters in, and they're, are variations of a lot of the same stuff. You know, there'll be, um, if I like our point guard situation, there'll be seven, eight different horns variations that we'll run. Um, you know we still run some old school uh, uh dean smith secondary carolina break stuff um uh, so there's there's a lot of that there uh but again it's for me it's an opportunity to okay i see this let's run this quick hitter and see if we can get some action here in the low post or or find this uh this this will replace action um and see what we get but then it flows into those read and react principles and spacing and all that stuff so i think the kids Kids are okay with it because I'm in control for about 10 to 15 seconds. What I get out of it is I get, I get great early movement. I'm guaranteed a certain number of screens, certain number of passes, certain number of ball reversals. And then there's a little bit of a rhythm for them to kind of flow through after that and play. And um, I, I, I've always been I, – I do give the kids this, and I always try to let the kids be in control. I think anything you can allow the kids to, to feel like they're in control of, the more they're going to buy in. And off of our primary break, I've always been, uh, listen fellas, if you can push the ball and swing the ball and get into attack mode, I'm just gonna sit down and let you play. But when that early movement is stagnant, and when it doesn't flow into any type of screening action or player movement action, I'm gonna take control and I'm gonna start calling sets. So I always put it in their hands. If you wanna do this, it's yours. But understand if if you don't do it well, I have to make sure that the ball still moves, that players still move, uh, that we've got good actions happening offensively, so I think, from a philosophical standpoint, I just like giving kids things that they have control over. If it's bad, I'm not the bad guy, <laughs> because now I say, "Hey, look, I, you had the opportunity to do this, you're not doing it. We got a game to win. I got to take over." Here. And they and they understand. And uh, sometimes they do really well on their own. Sometimes they don't. They're kids. Um, one of the things I say in the book over and over again: the only thing I know for sure after 25 years is kids are unpredictable. You know, that's, that's the only thing I know for sure. And um, so I, I like to have both aspects in. Defensively, I've always been a man to man guy. I, I try certain zones and I try to commit to them and I just can't, I just, uh, you know, it's for me, It's doesn't mean we don't use it for two trips here and three trips here just to disrupt things in terms of rhythm, especially when we're playing a more talented team. but. Um, I've always been a man-to-man guy. I think there's a lot of things you can do, even within man. I think some coaches change just because they like changing, which is fine. I think we can go to where we're going okay, to switch everything for a couple trips. All right? To me, that's the equivalent of changing from man to a 1-2-2 zone or some kind of ball press or something. Um, and then you and I have talked a lot about the pressing situation. I used to be a, 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 a run-and-jump guy. Um, I changed to a diamond press because I just wanted better control of trap areas. Um, again, I, I always go back. I talked about the unpredictability of things. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not good. Uh, I was frustrated with that. So we went to this diamond press. We got killed in the diamond press um, on the weak side. And then I saw Don Joe Walter talk about how they rotate to a two-two-one when that pass enters to the weak side. And we've rolled with that so long as we have the personnel to do it. Um, you know, I've, I've just always loved love to press because it controls tempo, it forces uh, extra prep, game prep for our opponents, um, and it allows me to play a lot more guys, and I think, again, you talk about trying to keep your players happy, um, you know, anytime, if you have the ability to go 10 deep, I think you need to find a system that allows you to do that, you know, you need to utilize all those guys and get them bought in, I also think the parents love that, when they see a lot of kids going in and out, unless it's your best player, <laughs> that's the one That's the one parent that's going to complain about that. but. Um, you know, here in Illinois, we play our, our limit is 31 regular season games. I think managing minutes is a big thing too. With our season's four months long, um, you know, so anytime you can implement a system where you're you're playing up tempo, it allows you to play more players. You also can manage minutes a little more as well. So I think all of that is factored in. That's that's a lot. It's a long answer, but um, you know, when you're old like you and I are, there's 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 been a lot that's influenced. and it just uh, and, again, that's part of what the book was about, um, you know, just just giving younger coaches insight as to the process and how the process has evolved over 25 years. And, you know, maybe somebody like you who's, who's done this for 25 years also can can say, you know, that's something I've never thought of. I think I'm going to try that. And that's that's kind of the whole motivation.
0: We We've said that kids really haven't changed, but there is some aspects I think that have changed is – throughout your career and I don't know if it's changed but it has for me the last I want to say over I want to say probably the last 7 8 years when you're when you're deciding on your team
1: yep.
0: and roster sizes I've noticed a trend in when you used to have about a 15 man roster and then you'd have a 12 man roster I'm starting to see more 10 man rosters in high school and in kind of looking like an AAU type of situation where you don't have a lot because they have other options to do um, and they just don't. Wearing the Harlem uniform may not just be that important to them. They want to play. They don't want to just be the practice guy. They want to so the pressing aspect like you said um, some of the other stuff I've done and messing around with and people going to like a Grinnell style of a basketball where everybody get you do shifts, five in, five out, press all over the floor, and you can get more participation. Um, is, was that part of the reason why you went to pressing was so that you, you were forced to play more players, or is it just you just feel it's a sound way of playing, period?
1: It, a little bit of both, I think. First of all, that we had a team uh, at, at Rockford Boylan Catholic in 2015 2016. We won 31 games. Um, we lost in the, the super sectional uh, to, I don't know, DeMonte Williams. I don't know if you're a University of Illinois guy. DeMonte is, he'll, I guess he'll be a, a fifth year senior next year. He's coming back for Illinois. But he was one of the starters on an Illinois team this year. That was really good. and um, It, it, that team was just like, we gotta, we gotta play these guys. We got too much talent to be sitting some of these guys and we just gotta wear teams out. And so for me, that was a big part of it. we told the kids, like, if you're not tired when you're coming on the floor, that's on you, you gotta play harder, like just, just sell out for everything. And those kids really bought into that. They were, they were phenomenal as far as that goes. I don't, the roster size saying that I, I'm still, uh, I'm still flexible in that every year. I still want to give kids the opportunity to participate I hate cutting kids. I, I I just it's one of the hardest things, and I've never cut a kid on a list. I've always sat down face to face, and had the discussion about this is this is where we're going. This is why, um, you know, just just trying to yeah. some kids some kids have really told me over the years they respected that like you cut me, but but you sat me down face to face and you talked to me about it because I do that face to face thing. Maybe that's why it's harder for me to cut kids. Like I want to keep as many kids as possible. But I think you're right. I think there's I've been amazed how many kids, when we gave them the opportunity, and I literally had a parent say to me once, you should have cut him. And, and I'm like, really? That, you, you, you would have rather me just cut? Well, yeah, because he's got other things he can do, and this and that. I'm like, well, listen. I said, I'm always trying to give him the opportunity. And they mentioned going to play rec ball. And this is a middle school coach, actually. A middle school parent a few years back and one of our seventh grade teams. And like, he could have played rec ball. And I'm like, well, you know, that rec ball that you're talking about gets one practice a week for one hour and they play one game a week. I said, we're given an opportunity to practice six days of practice or play a game six days a week and get better. I said, you don't think that's better for him? Like, well, no, you should have just cut. And I'm just like, I guess I'm always gonna default to that. In my heart, I feel like I'm trying to give as many kids the opportunity to play and I'm gonna keep doing that. Uh, I'm still amazed how many people think that that's the wrong way to go, but uh, that's kind of who I am and that's where I'm gonna kind of stay on that roster size. Now, one thing we have that's changed is we have a JV level now. We've always had a true sophomore level. We had a freshman, sophomore, and varsity. Oh, yeah,
0: you, you had four teams?
1: You would, well, the JV games were just kind of like the varsity kids. It was like a varsity B game, and you would play everybody in your conference once. And it, it, in Illinois, it evolved to where we were lucky to get three or four of those games a year. So now I actually made the push in our conference to change the JV because I'm like, I'm playing kids at the sophomore level. We're not even going to come try out as, as a junior. I know they're not coming out. They've, they've said it. Um, and I've got juniors on my bench that aren't playing. So we finally last year for the first time had a JV level. So I have some, some juniors that play both levels. So that's something we've got to watch really closely here as we go. We may keep fewer. And actually, we're still – got – I think last year we had 14 and three guys were playing both levels. So there were days where we'd send three guys maybe the day before a JV game to go practice exclusively with the JV. A lot of times we're practicing JV and varsity together now, which, which I have not done before. Um, but that's that's influencing the way we've kind of managed our roster a little bit as well. I think we're still learning how to do that.
0: That's interesting. Majority of the schools here in California have three levels, and they call it freshman, JV, and varsity. Um, some of the other schools, and it's primarily in Orange County in California, will have four levels. They'll have fro- frosh, a soft team, a JV team, and a varsity team. Um well, we, one positive of California, is we have a shot clock, which most states don't. But, yeah, I wish we had it. We had it. Just, but what we don't have that I'm hearing from other states is they're allowed to participate like in six quarters. So you're allowed to play a kid like two. Like in California, if you play JV, you cannot, get, you cannot play varsity the same day. Okay. So like if our JV team's playing before our varsity game, you can't play. You have to be one or the other. Other states, I hear, say you can participate in like six quarters or something like that. Is that how it is in Illinois? We don't.
1: We, we're unlimited now. We used to have that. Um, we used to have a quarter's limit. Uh, it was 90 quarters in a season, and it was up to you how you use them. Um, they ditched that primarily because the small schools were getting killed. They just had to play kids at multiple levels to be able to field teams. And so Illinois finally just said, you know, we're gonna put it on you guys and you guys manage it. However, so we have no limitations as far as that goes. Um, we don't have a shot clock. I wish we would get one. I think that's, I think that's kind of. And I like the, the way we play. I think transfers really well to the shot clock, the quick hitters, and, and all that stuff where our kids are able to maybe run through one and maybe pull it back out, run through another oh, one, yeah. and create a shot. So I, I think we're built for that. I wish we would move along. I think for us, I don't know how you guys handle it. the cost is a is a topic that continually comes up. Like, how are we gonna? I can okay, not enough bench personnel as it is. How are we going to train them to run it? How well, are we going to... Yeah, sir.
0: Cert- I've been at three different schools and the last school I was at, they put it in the contract for teachers that they had duty. Okay. So, or, or no, they, so actually they pay some of them it did duty. So as part of them to like, to work at athletic events or, or whatever, others have paid it. And here in California, majority of the time, People say, Oh, you need a separate shot clock operator. No, usually the clock person can do the shot clock at the same because they have it synced. So yeah. if you have your shot clock on or the timer on, and then you just click off, the shot clock just works, you just leave your shot clock on, and the only time you ever need to hit the shot clock button is ball goes out of bounds or a change of possession basically
1: oh, that's it, it. Rim, right? okay
0: yeah if it hits the rim hold it possession ball gets taken out of bounce hold it let it go shot clock i mean people are operating shot clocks in summer with kids on the clock and i mean i mean there's people that it, it's it's a cop out the cost thing i mean i think there's a
1: fear there that, that it's not going to go smoothly and they just need to get over it honestly but i think that's kind of where it's at for us
0: now, the roster, I mean, what your thoughts? When you're building – when you're – when you've done this a long time, you can probably pick – if you're doing a two-hour tryout, let's say, probably yeah. in the first 20, 30 minutes, you go, okay, there's my top five. And then you start going, watching a little bit more. Okay, there's the next three or next two. There's my seven-ish. But the making and breaking of a team, in my opinion, is selecting your next five guys. Um Attitude-wise, the kid that's willing to say, having that hard conversation, saying, the joke used to be, "You're a twenty twenty 20 kid. Um, you're only gonna play when we're up 20 or down 20." I'm not talking 20 points and 20 rebounds, guys. I'm talking, I'm talking, right, right, right. I'm talking scoreboard up 20, down 20, or uh, you're gonna practice with us and give it all your all you can, but you're probably hardly gonna get an opportunity unless the score is and can you handle that? And that typical situation, a player will tell you yes. A, yeah, parent, I, a parent may tell you yes, but what comes down to it later on down is who's the one that's going to make the complaint? Is it going to be the kid? Or is it going to be the parent in your experience?
1: It's, it's always the parent. I mean, I shouldn't say always, but it's the kids are generally, they understand the role. Uh, they, they're okay with it. They're... They're more about the journey, right? Yeah. Uh, Than the parent. The parent's more about the results. The kid is more about the journey, and that's again another aspect of the book was just kind of like as a coach, like telling young coaches, like you know, you think you're going to get together with these kids ten years down the line, you're going to talk about all these buzzer beaters and all these great accomplishments. They're going to talk about. Something in the locker room, something in a hotel room, something on a bus ride, something I did stupid as a coach where I made them run for a half hour straight. That's what they're going to talk about. So the kid is generally okay with it. You know, it's 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 a conversation you should have had with him as a coach, obviously, when it started. Um, I've got a kid that I just hired as an assistant coach now. He just graduated last year, and we hired, I hired two of my former players from last year. And they were those types of kids. One was our starting point guard, but he was a, a three-point, three-assist type guy. He just ran the offense. Another kid was a kid that I, I – I almost didn't keep as a junior, and I told him flat out, i like your basketball IQ needs to grow tremendously for you to see time even as a senior because you you just don't have the talent level that some of these other guys have." Well, he did it. I mean, he his, his basketball IQ grew tremendously. He was that guy on the bench that was just coaching harder than I was sometimes, yelling, screaming at guys in a positive way, bringing energy. And I hired both these guys as assistant coaches this year. They're 19. They're gonna be they're gonna be our freshman assistant or our JV assistant. And um, yeah, those are the type of kids that if you can lay it on the line for them, this is what we need, Adi. This is what you're gonna have to do. When you see them do it, man, it's so so gratifying as a coach to, to see kids. And it's not anything I did. It's just a kid. Um, it's just a, a, a tribute to the kid's character and and the fact that they just really want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And um, yeah, that was a, a unique situation this year where I'm like, why don't we hire these guys? Like we got these two jobs that opened up. Why don't we hire these guys? They're they show up to everything they they both want to be teachers and coaches they've told me that and um you know i and i was that kid you know i was exactly who they are they're a year ahead of where i was at i was an assistant varsity coach for one year when i was 19 turning 20 and um you know and just and loved every second of it and, and you know i see a lot of that in these two kids so i i think you know yeah back to your point the parent is parents are more focused on the results the kids are more focused on the journey the process the, having fun um and all those things and and that's something that's it's it, that's never going to be easy for a coach to handle i think uh um you know i think your focus should be on the kids first and foremost one of the things i think that um uh, you know if you have if, if you're if, if you have time to do one-on-one meetings with the player and the parents um and you can start it individually and start with the parents and say what do you want out of this and then go meet with the kid and say what do you want out of this and then bring them together and say you you can't you wouldn't believe how far apart you guys are and what you want to get out of this I think that's a great way to bring light to the fact that parents, your kid does not want the same things out of this that you do necessarily. Sometimes they match up, you know, not always, but sometimes they match up. And I think that's a great way to start that conversation with the parents. that You need to let the kid have his journey. here. It's his process. It's his journey. This is what he tells me he wants. It's not the same, mom and dad, of what you say you want. And I think when you can, I think if you have the opportunity to do that and establish that right off the bat, I think it allows you to have that conversation a little more freely.
0: I've always struggled with this situation just and you've probably been in it where you've had a kid that's fairly talented and you may have thought that he could have played after high school but he never really committed to yeah. to put it in and mom or dad wanted it more than him right and they made it known in the stands or they made it made it tough on either the coach and the player in those situations, like saying you didn't do enough to help him, blah blah blah. How have you handled that situation?
1: Well, I think I'm off the hook on that a little bit, just because the way the way the recruitment process has changed. Nobody talks to me anymore. You know, it's rare that I talk to anybody because they're. I mean, and it's. It, there was a time where I was very involved in the process, and when I was back at Jefferson, we had we had two Division One post players who were six eight and six ten, and um, you know, phone was ringing off the hook nonstop, and and that was 2000 to 2005 now if you know I, if I' if I talk to a coach here and there it, it's it's a it's a rare occurrence. I think it's set up so much to where it's all AAU now that's where they see them. Um, even as much as gosh I had a kid that just graduated played, finished his fifth year at Minnesota about three four years ago. Uh, even when he was in high school 2014, I was still talking to a lot of high school coaches but now or, I'm sorry a lot of college coaches, but now I, it's a rare occurrence. if I don't reach out, you know, if I don't ask the kids, you know, who are you talking to and then go reach out, I probably don't talk to them anymore. I just get bypassed in the process. Um, so as far as that goes, you know, I guess it's, it's, it's more on the AAU coach now than it is on me, and that's just kind of the way it's evolved. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenge. Um, just, you know, parents are, are probably uh, too involved these days, and, and, again, I think it goes back to how much money they've invested and how much time they've invested. I, I, I'm a travel parent too. I spend every week on the softball time with my daughter, coaching her, um, you know, it's, there's a, we've spent a lot of money this summer and a lot of time, and uh, I, I get it. I think that that allows them to feel more entitled to certain answers and certain things. And um, and unfortunately, it's just it's not the way it works. I mean, I can't, I can't no matter how good or a kid or how bad a kid wants it, if a coach have, doesn't have interest, I can't make them have interest. And I've also said that I'll never lie to a college coach for one of my players, I tell them that flat out. If you have a bad work ethic, I'm not gonna lie about that because they believe me and they take you. And now two years later, I've got a kid who is phenomenal that that really deserves to play. And that coach says, "No, remember that one kid you sent to me and you told me this, this, and this, and it wasn't true." Um, so I've always told kids, you need to take care of this stuff. I'll tell them the truth, and, and you need to make sure that the truth is uh, is gonna be on your side when it comes to the recruiting process. Most kids take care of that stuff. I think that's that's not that you know just. If they know they can play and they want to play, they'll take care of that stuff.
0: So we brought up the AAU high school dynamic. I have a couple of questions on this one. Or, or one's my one's thought and the other's a question. Um, I've always struggled with it where I, I haven't always been blessed with players that can that are, good, in my opinion, good enough to play travel ball. Um, yeah. Out here in California, there's so many travel ball teams. Um, when I was playing, yeah. you had to be elite or good. To just play travel ball now you're seeing them all over the place they've they've replaced rec like the city rec ball teams are basically gone nowadays we had an organization called national junior basketball njb i don't know if that was in illinois or not but that was a a big one where it was almost that was like the new rec, and now travel ball where for people that don't don't I think everybody should understand it's going to be listed as podcast but typically high school when it's high school season travel shuts down and they're not allowed to participate that's how it how it, how it's worded here in California um, but the fight is during summer and and the viewing period time how did what was how did you try to do that with your program and how did you try to work it out I mean because Sounds like you have a lot of the things where AAU tries to blame high school, high school tries to blame AAU, and we're not ever having that common. Some, some people are really good where they'll reach out to the high school coach and say, hey, how can I help? What are yeah. you doing in your program? But it just seemed like there's an awful lot of blame game going on there. Do you agree with that part? And do how do you, ha- how do you yeah. handle it?
1: I agree. We, we've started to, um, I've got some younger assistant coaches that are trying to establish a, a, a junior Huskies for us uh, travel program, just to, from the teaching aspect of it, mm-hmm. trying to, and, and they got the energy to do it. You know, I'm, I'm busy coaching my kids in the summer and all that stuff. Like a junior
0: high type level?
1: Yeah, we, we're starting the junior high, and we're going to try to keep expanding it. It's all, it. It really is dependent on finding the right people. You know, if you can't find the right people to coach it, then it's, you know, it's hard to expand. So I think you got to take that really, really slowly and carefully. Um, and, I, you know, I like that I can be involved as much as I want, but I don't have to be. Um, just I, I'm just in a good spot with a couple of, of younger assistants who are, are really gung-ho on that, and they're doing a great job of it. i I just tell the story, Gordy Kirkman, uh, coach at Western world high school in Illinois for a long time, legendary coach. I was at a tournament in, uh, in 2004, I think it was summer of 2004 in Rock Island, Illinois. They ran an NCAA, uh, certified high school level tournament. It was rare back then. So everybody went into it, but it was also the time when a lot of AAU tournaments were, were, were playing and, you know, our top level kids were there and uh, playing AAU as well. And we had a couple of kids that were going to play Friday, but they were going to be gone on Saturday. And I'm sitting in the hospital room with Gordy Kirkman, who was this you know, longtime coach who I respected. I said, Coach, I said, how do you handle this when your kids, uh, you know, like tomorrow i got a couple of kids that want to go play with their AAU team. How do you handle it? He said, you know what? He said, we tell them if they go to their AAU team, don't ever come back. They're never playing high school basketball for us again. And I'm just kind of like, wow. Uh, like, like it's 2004. You know, this is here to stay. I don't think it's going away. Like there's got to be a better answer. And here I was this guy I respected tremendously, but I'm like, that's just not, to me, that's not acceptable. Like that's not, that's not going to work. In my, the back of my mind, I was always like, you know, they're, they're all playing. They're trying to get better. Uh, if they get better. Our team gets better. Maybe it's okay if they leave and they go play and, and because they are good enough to play at the elite level. I think that's a big kicker. Like, are they, are they, are they going to be better when they come back? And I say that a lot to our kids, like, you know, make sure you're better when you come back, find the program that's going to force you to be a better player when you return to us, whenever that is November or whatever, you know, we hit, we hit July, we're pretty much done. Um, but I think, you know, if, 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 they're, they're away trying to get better and it allows me to play other guys in different roles that could happen in the season, you know, maybe they get hurt in the season and I need these other kids to step up and play that role. So you really have to be as a high school coach. And then when we get 25 contact days in a typical summer, so we can play a lot of games, you know, we can play three games a day and almost 25 days if we wanted to, we can practice in the morning, play two games at night, um, whatever. So it, it, you have to be okay with with not being about wins and losses in the summertime. I think a lot of coaches hopefully understand that. Easier said than done for a lot of people because you're competitive. Um, and, and really just being about building your depth at that point. We've gotten to the point where we basically shut down in July. In July, I'll offer workouts for whatever days we have left. If we have three or four or five days left, we'll do those the first couple weeks in July where it's maybe Tuesday, Thursday. And it's like, hey, we're here. If you're, if you're out of town for an AAU event or whatever, just let me know that. If you're at football camp now and you're focused on football, just let me know that. And just really focus on the life skills with that, the communication factor, all those things. Um, so 25 is a lot. I think Wisconsin, they get five contact days. We get 25 here in Illinois. So, you know, how you approach that is obviously very different. Um, we try to be very heavy, use most of them in June so that if a kid's a football player, they can go focus on football in July or they can go play AAU in July. But we still have opportunities where the weight rooms open, the the workouts are available, and you know we understand we're probably gonna have less numbers, but we're still trying to provide those opportunities for kids. Yeah, man,
0: California. The only rules we ever have is we have a dead period. Other than that, we can yeah, we have one we do that, too. We, can that, that we can coach kids. We can coach kids year round, pretty much.
1: I mean, I, I, there's two schools of thought on that. I think yeah. the the one school is that you know there's they're better off with us than they are with, with whatever AAU coach. And I, I hate that because there's some, there's some really good travel coaches out there. Mm-hmm. There's some guys that are phenomenal that I've, I've worked with over the years and, and learned a lot from and, and our kids have played for. And then there's guys that just aren't very good. And I think you can say that at every level um, that are, are taking money from people and, and promising things and, and replacing kids as soon as they, they find out there's a better player out there that's available and you know, So it's, there, there's, there's, I think, all those components in it are make it a little bit trickier for us as high school coaches to navigate through.
0: I made a statement when I took over at Patriot High School, what was that, 2015, that I thought education-based athletics are on its way out and it's going to go more of an AAU model um, where maybe you're playing as Harlem Huskies But but you're not necessarily school-sponsored, school-funded, because lots of school funding for athletics is going away. I don't know about you. You get an X amount of money sometimes for a budget. Mine was pretty much basketballs for the year, and every fourth year we were on a rotation to get new uniforms. So we were all summer ball, all fall ball, all spring ball, was all fundraised or – you had to sit your butt in the gym all day and host stuff so that your kids could play so what are your thoughts on do you ever see high schools going more to like a club like a european model if you will where it's
1: yeah 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 i've had some kids some exchange students that have taught taught me through that talked me through that stuff too and i know exactly what you're talking about i my first hope is i just i hope not i mean i just I fear that a little bit with NCAA too, with uh, with some of these leagues trying to pop up and, and pay, uh, you know, pay kids straight out of high school to play, and I don't know if those leagues will ever get off the ground or not. So I, I fear this not just at the high school level, because I just love college basketball. Like, man, the, the one year with no NCAA tournament, I was dying. Like I just I, I live for it. I, I think it's the greatest greatest sporting event there is. Mm-hmm and I, I guess I've, I haven't really allowed myself to think that it's a possibility at the high school level either because I again I was a kid you know my dad had me in a high school gym when I was three four years old uh, we went to every tournament within driving distance every Christmas every Thanksgiving I mean we were just basketball junkies and I, I can't imagine life without it you know I just I just can't there's something about the student section and all those elements that all those elements that are not there of these travel tournaments, you know, as, as as great as the talent is, there's there's still something missing every time I go sit in those gyms, and it's cool to see Tom Izzo or or somebody sitting across the gym and watching these kids play, but you know, there's no student section. There's just this element that's missing to me, and I think that's that's so unique to to high school and college basketball and sports in general. And so I don't, I guess my answer is I don't want to think about it. I don't I don't want that to happen um I, I do know funding is always going to be an issue but i think it always has been an issue we've always figured it out um so i, I just I, I guess i hope that continues to be the case
0: that's just something that just come my head on this while we're talking hoop here um interesting thing i saw a tweet from uh fran for um he's a broadcaster ex-coach right and he's big on international basketball correct and i knew it was a lot but the statement was 25% of the NBA is international players. And he believes why American basketball is on a decline to an extent. I mean, we, we always go crazy when they lose a game in the Olympics, right? right. That was the first one they lost. Yeah. So the before that was 19-whatever, and we got rid of the amateurs, right? We went to Dream Team, right? Because we lost, and we can't lose in a basketball in America because that's our... We're, we're supposed to be the best in the world. Right. And I'm I'm here, and his thought process was going back to the shot clock. That everywhere else in the world, at age 14 and above, they're using a 24-second shot clock. Right. So there's that ball screen element that we can get into, but I think that's why the ball screen is relevant in FIBA, international basketball. I'm a big, I love watching, like, like Sp- like Spain with Gasols and 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 teams oh, yeah. and Barcelona Spain FC FC team. Barcelona and and people like that but do you think part of our decline is because we don't have one governing function like AAU ball right we talked right. about it uh, you got high school some have shot clocks some don't I heard—I don't know if it's still true—Minnesota. I was studying a coach back in the day named Dan Ninham. They ran like a pressing type offense, and I'm like, "How how are they scoring hundred and something points a game?" I came to find out that they play forty minute—they played forty minutes for high school in that state.
1: So like, Wisconsin, and Wisconsin went to 18-minute halves, so we're still okay. 8 minute, we're still eight-minute quarters, but they're getting and, that extra extra couple minutes. And and um, yeah, I think there's I, I I agree. I think the NFHS has just not not brought it all together, even at the high school level. Let alone you're talking about let's 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 kind of link up everything. Like
0: US can like let's just say throw so, oh, usa basketball i mean you mentioned don showalter great guy uh, he's a high school coach he was a high school coach and now he just is a works for usa basketball and i forget what level is he like i think he's 19, 16 you maybe oh is, is he at, i don't i'm not sure what level he's at but yeah do you think somebody needs to like either it be nba junior basketball they, that's out there in some communities too somebody or will it never happen because there's too many too much money and I, don't think, not, I, don't,
1: I don't I don't see it ever happening. I just don't. I think there's I think you nailed it. There's there's money everywhere and and everybody wants to keep it. And I think people still I think people still fear change a lot in this country when it comes to, you know, just everything. I mean, it's it's um I think we're, we we want to hold on to tradition. I'm a am torn on this because I'm a traditionalist. I love the fact that I can come in with a team with way less talent than you and hold the ball and keep it close and give my guys a chance and keep fans in my gym interested. Um, in that same game, I know if there's, if there's a 24 second shot clock and we're flying up down the court, you're going to bury me. So I like that. There's still that, there's still that possibility in high school basketball. Um, I think the true, you know, in the N tournament we get so excited about a 15 seed beating a two seed, right? It's like the greatest upset ever. And this and that, that happens in high school gyms every Friday and Saturday night. Um, uh, um, that type of upset happens and it's, it's it's there's just it's just more possible because the the variation in talent along combined with the the fact that, that I can play a slower game. That's my right to be able to do that. Um, do I like playing a slower game? No, nope, but I like winning. I I, I I feel a sense of doing whatever my kids need me to do to win. Right? And I've had people say, well you, you should have slowed the ball slowed the game down, it's not fun to watch this and that. I'm like, that's not my job. My job is to try and win this game and that gave me the best opportunity to do that. I think there's too much individualism right now to, to where everybody's going to get on the same page and commit to that. Um, does it need to happen? Yeah, I think you're right. I think there's, there's a lot to be said for that. I, I was watching the three on three at the Olympics and that 12 second shot clock. And I'm like, man, this is, this is fast. Like I'm thinking about doing that as a, as a drill. Like yeah. I, if, if I can, you know, just get the kids to, to get into, to, to actions right away and stop dribbling in place and, and, um, and I think they'll just have fun doing it. You know, I watch that like when as soon as they came off the rim, I saw that thing reset to twelve. They haven't even cleared it yet; and it's counting down. Um, I'm like, this is this is this is pretty exciting to watch. So, I, um,
0: yeah, I just think it's so wild. You, just take college basketball that you love. Yeah. Okay, men's side is two twenty minute halves. Yeah. Women's side, is yeah. is four ten minute quarters. So yeah. just imagine here, you can advance the ball, right? in in the women's game, so there's be more strategy for sideline plays. So if they had that in the men's game, you wouldn't have had the the what thirty five foot throw in from the guy from Gonzaga to beat UCLA because once UCLA scored, most coaches well, all they would have called timeout and said let's advance it. Yeah. Uh, how that's just weird. You got two NCAA Division ones, men's and women's side that can't even agree (laughs) to have but i i heard i don't know if you know this i believe the women will now have the same length three-pointer really as the men so you won't so you won't have two different lines on the court gotcha no i didn't Uh,
1: know that i didn't know that i i hate the advancement rule i mean if i can be honest i hate it i'm like if 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 you don't want it, inbound the ball from your end line, don't give up a basket. Like, that's the first thing. Like, I, I hate that advancement rule. Um, I've always hated it in the NBA, too. So it's not just – and I'm not a big NBA fan. I don't, I don't watch a lot of NBA, and I should qualify that with um, – I was a Bulls fan growing up, and, you know, six championships in eight years that if Jordan doesn't retire would have been eight in eight years, and, and now I just can't – the Bulls are so bad I can't watch it. And NBA in general, I just it was kind of ruined for me because it was so good during that stretch that now I've kind of lost interest. I don't watch a lot of it. So um, college is kind of my thing. I think college is closer to what we do as coaches at the high school level, so I think that's why I get into it more.
0: I just popped in my head again. Question I want to start asking on the podcast. Are you a foul or defend guy? You're up you're up three with seven seconds or less. Are you a foul and say the ball is sideline or say the ball's in the it's seven seconds or less you're not defending 84 feet. They have the ball at like mid court. Are you fouling? Are you fouling or are you just playing it out and hoping that they don't make a three?
1: I'm going to come back to what I said earlier. Kids are unpredictable. And I think, I think some people think it's like, it's stupid not to foul, but I think a lot of those people are not coaches and they don't realize all the things that could go wrong within that. Am I a good rebounding team? Like if I'm a bad rebounding team, I'm a little bit afraid to put them on the line where they make one and then but then again, a lot of things have to fall in line there for that to, to beat you. I personally, I want to foul. Um, and and I, always, I always ask coaches, well, do you practice that?
0: Mm-hmm. Because
1: if you don't practice it, it's, it's tough. Kids have gotten smarter where they know the foul's coming, and they'll, they'll go into the act of shooting, and now all of a sudden you just gave them three shots. So anybody who thinks it's cut and dry and you're stupid for not filing doesn't understand the unpredictability to it. The, the officials bring a whole other level of unpredictability to it. Um, do you trust thing,
0: the high Do you trust the high school referee not to call an intentional foul?
1: This is one thing I wrote about <laughs> this in the book as well. If I'm filing, I'm telling the referees I'm filing, and I think referees appreciate that because they want to know. And I've had situations where where you know this was this not not the same situation, but. A minute 10 to go we're down four we got a guy in a trap referee blows a quick whistle and he looks at me he's like, i thought you guys were trying to foul like, no we're not trying to foul. We got, a, we got a lot of time left we got a kid in a trap yeah you know, sometimes referees who know the game they
0: anticipate game, they anticipate too much
1: anticipate so i would say to all coaches tell referees what your intent is you know what what do you have to lose by telling them? you've got absolutely nothing to lose by telling them, hey we're following it and they might be a little quicker on that whistle and before it gets in the after shooting. So whatever you decide to do, make sure the officials know what you're doing ahead of time. Hey, we're filing here. Hey, we're not, not fouling yet. All right. Um, I in a, in a perfect world, I'd like to file. I, I would like to do it coming out of a timeout. Like I just want that opportunity to talk to the kids about it before. So if there's not a timeout situation, you know, I may look at a couple of kids and just kind of give them the, the signal to, to file um, kids that I would trust and, and you know but it's it's just not as
0: easy as people think I, it is. my my gut on it usually is I'd like to foul two because first of all high school kids aren't as great at shooting free throws oh, so, so, sure. kids so what's the likelihood that they're even going to make the first one
1: right
0: and then on the second one what's the likelihood that they're not going to lane that they're not going to have a violation yeah so even though, and and I agree with you is What's the what's is my best player fouled out? What are my likelihood of winning in overtime? Um, I mean, I I I think the statistics say you slightly get a better advantage if you foul than than playing it out. much, yeah, yeah. Go ahead.
1: No, no, I'm just agreeing with you. It's it's not as cut and dry as people think statistically either.
0: My my major thing is is kids. Over the course of our twenty-five years, I would say, since the three-point line's more emphasized, yeah. kids shoot the ball better. Um, I mean, I don't know if they technically do, but I rather them have to do blah, blah blah blah, make the first, miss it, get the offensive rebound, and then score it right. to tie the game, right. than them just throwing a three.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. We got beat on one um, – gosh, this was probably – it was probably 15, 16 years ago. We got beat on one where, you know, we came out of a timeout, and we were all, we were up two. We weren't up three. We were up two. And uh, kid kid goes off a ball screen. Our guy goes under it, which is absolutely not what we asked him to do, obviously. So there's, there's always that aspect, too. Like what a coach wants you to do and what kids do is not always – what you see is not always what was supposed to happen. The kid hits a three and lose by the Yeah, And uh, the, the guy uh, and a parent, why didn't you foul? I'm like, we were only up two. What are you talking about fouling? Like, I'm not going to put them on the line to tie it. And I'm like, you know, what you see in the floor, I wasn't gonna throw a kid on the bus. I'm like, you gotta understand, what you see on the court is not always what we talk about in the huddle. Like, I mean, again, yeah. there's that unpredictability with kids. And, and it, it's not always that simple. I, I think you want to foul. I think you're right. I think there's just too many things that have to line up for you to lose that game if you foul. Uh, but there's always that fear in the back of my mind where we'll wait too long and the kid's starting, to go going after shooting, and now we gave them three. But even then, you're right, making three in a row, man, that's a lot to put on a kid's shoulder to make three in a row to tie it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was watching, like, Portland Trailblazers, I think, Denver Nuggets series, and it went into double overtime. Um, Dame Libler did it twice. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, I'm like, aren't you going to foul? Come Like – don't even let them shoot the three like so that's that's my thing is is kids i mean Damian lillard can shoot it from 35 feet i mean and and send it into and the studies that i want to see on it is this you gave up the three to tie what's the percentage now that you've actually won after it's gone into overtime or how many times have you lost because your kids are deflated they have all the momentum.
1: It takes a lot of mental toughness to overcome that. Yeah, so,
0: I mean, it's, I want to know how many times someone's lost.
1: And I also want to know, like, like, would you make a decision different if you're at home versus being on the road too? If you're, you know, facing a conference rival, does that factor into it? Does it factor in, like, if you're up by three, but you're the less talented team, does that factor into it? You know, I, I, I'd like to know. I, I think that's something that you could have a whole roundtable on with 10 different coaches and, and get some really good discussion
0: on. Uh, another roundtable is is it, it can be a technical foul because I've heard it. but So say you're the team that fouled. Yeah. What if you kept lane violating and making them shoot the free throw over?
1: <laughs> but if they make it, it counts though, right?
0: Yeah, so if they make yeah, so if, so if you lane violate and it goes in, they've made both free throws. So now you still have the ball and you're up by one.
1: Oh, I get what you're saying. They're trying to miss it intentionally and you keep mm-hmm. stepping in. I got gotcha. And if they ball
0: miss ball. it they have to shoot the free throw again. I know it can be called a technical foul. Yeah. I, I but...
1: don't know. Is that under the rules that you can call that a technical foul or is that a... I
0: believe it could be like your delay of gaming or your trying Well yeah, I guess yeah,
1: I guess you could go delay game and one warning and <laughs>
0: yeah
1: i mean
0: and then on those situations and rest won't call it but on that missed shot there's a whole lot of lane violations occurring on both teams
1: usually yeah yeah
0: because the one that cracks me up on free throws is you shoot an air ball right kid shoots an air ball and they're they're back until they change the rules we had the rule for a while you had to wait till the ball hit the rim Right. And you got all these kids standing in the lane. Yeah. Walking out and the ball didn't hit the rim. Right. And they call a violation on the shooter. Yeah. Well, you got four kids in the lane too.
1: Right. So <laughs> yeah, that old rule, yeah, so glad they got rid of that where you had to wait till it hit the rim.
0: Um, Mel Rushmore, uh coaching. Um, who who would be your top 4 coaches of all time that for you?
1: Again, I I don't know that I look at it the same way. I'm looking at guys that I've I've just taken away so much from that I appreciate. Yep. So for me, I may be looking at this a little bit differently, but I've already talked about, I think all four of them for me, you know, early on it was, it was Dick Bennett. Number one, um, Bo Ryan was right there when he replaced Dick Bennett at Wisconsin. Um, Pete Carrill is one, because I think that, I think if you haven't read the smart take from the strong as a high school coach, you absolutely need to because you're going to, you're going to have years where you're the best team. But there's always going to be years where you're not, and you've got to you've got to understand that there's still ways that you can win that game. And I think that's why the Princeton offense has become so popular because it's been tied to so many upsets, right? It's 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 oh man, Princeton beat this team or that team.
0: It's the equalizer.
1: Yeah, it is. And I, so I, I I love Pete Carrillo. I love that book. And then Rick Pitino was one for me younger that just uh, you know that book was was fantastic. This the success Rick Pitino is, is Rick. Providen-
0: Rick Pitino uh, Providence days.
1: I think success of the choice was was after the Kentucky stuff, after he moved okay. on. But he wrote a lot about Billy Donovan and Providence and all that stuff. And, and that's where the three
0: pointer started getting popular.
1: Yep, sweat the small stuff, sweat every detail, um, daily successes, just just really focusing on. It, it really taught me to focus on the process versus the result. Um, so that was a big influence for me. So it may not be your typical Mount Rushmore. I, you know, again, I'm older. Um, and just, just so much of what I've learned through coaching has come through those four guys for me.
0: Okay. One rapid fire for you real quick. Games on the line. You need an X and O decision. Is it Popovich or Phil Jackson?
1: Oh, I think it's pop for, uh, for an X and O there. I think, I think I always thought Phil was more of a system type guy and a a culture type guy.
0: Okay. Culture type guys, uh, Pat Riley or Phil Jackson.
1: Man, both fantastic. I gotta go with Phil.
0: So this is some this is some new stuff I've never done. I'm I'm doing it on the fly here. Um, oh, that's a good that's
1: a good question.
0: Um, Bobby Knight or Coach K?
1: I think Coach K. I thought Bobby Knight was always a little bit over the top. Um, I don't think Coach K is is as as nice as he comes off being in the media with his guys. I think he's a little tougher than most people realize. But um, I always thought Coach K was just a little little too over the top. This one's a little oh, out. Bobby Knight. It was a little the top.
0: This one's a little out there. It's it's comparing men's and women's game, but uh, John Wooden or Gino Ariema. Oh wow
1: <laughs> I'm gonna say John Wooden. Here's why I'm gonna say John Wooden. Because I thought I think I think in the women's game there hasn't been the parody that there has been in the men's game over there. And I know even in the men's game, back when Wooden was coaching, there wasn't as much parody, not, not even close to the parody there is today but I still think him winning 10 in a row and however many he ended up winning was harder than what Gino has done. But what Gino has done has been phenomenal. It's been incredible.
0: Hey, Nick Saban or Bill Belichick?
1: Ooh, I'm going to say Bill Belichick because I think it's tougher to do with the the professional level than the college level.
0: That's my that's my coach's uh comparisons there. I I just threw those up in my head, honestly. I don't even have one favorite.
1: And those are tough because they're all really good. Like Nick Saban's incredible, but he can recruit players every year and and Belichick's got limits on that. So I think I think that's the qualifier for me on that one.
0: I know it's not out and we're hoping here in the next few weeks, I think, on your book, right? Is that
1: Yeah, hopefully within about three weeks, just waiting on the printer to send me a copy so I can proofread it and then it'll be a go and It'll be on Amazon. It'll be on barnesandnoble.com. It'll be on the Sony iReader. It'll be on every platform.
0: Okay. Well, how long did it take you to do?
1: You know, I started it in we, we, our season. So I started in November when we didn't start practice. Uh, had most, had probably two thirds of it done by mid-January. And then we started our season. So I took about two months away, but I think total about four to five months Um, and that was really for me reading it rereading it rereading it again just i'm kind of a perfectionist so i um but here's here's what i'll tell you if you want to do it start with your uh speech to text on your ipad and just start getting all those thoughts in there so that's what i did first as i just talked in my ipad for hours and hours and hours
0: oh
1: and then i finally transferred it to google docs and just started the the actual like editing writing process and um, for me, I just had to kind of spill it all out there, and um, and, and that really worked well for me. So um, it's definitely something people can do. You know, if you've got a passion for something, it's it's something I've learned through this that it's very doable. And, um, you know, would, would definitely recommend it to anybody who's even thought about it.
0: How do you think it's going to help you with, with your coaching going forward now that you put it on pen to paper?
1: I think sometimes you uh, – you, you go back through all the things that were really good at. For me as a coach, it's like, you know, why did I stop doing that? I used to, we used to be really good at that and then we changed and why did we change? Sometimes we change just to change and I think it's gonna make me better because it's reminded me of things that we used to do successfully that we've changed and, and I need to get back to. Um, so on a personal level, it's it's kind of like, you know, in, in, in 25 years, we've done a lot of things right. We have we've done a lot of things wrong. And we can learn from both of them. And uh, for me, it's like, yeah, you know, I, I don't know why I stopped doing it. Like, yeah, sometimes you find something new and you change just to change. And um, so for me, I think I'll go back to some things that that were really good for me throughout the process and, and kind of uh, just start doing them again. Could be a drill, could be a, an offensive, or defensive concept, anything.
0: Well, let's leave with this. Um, I'm sure we might have some younger coaches that are going to be listening on this. What piece of advice would you? Give to them on their coaching journey.
1: Uh, enjoy the process, and, and and don't focus so much on the results. Um, the The process for me has been amazing. Um, looking back on it, we we were too results oriented in our profession. Um, I've had kids that I one of the things I I wrote about. I said I wish I wish when I was younger I would have told kids I loved love them more, you know, that I appreciated them more. I was a really young head coach. And I think for me, I went the opposite way. I tried to, to, to keep them intimidated and, and, and not be really close with them. And I think when I was younger, I was told you couldn't be really close with your players. Like you can't be friends with them. And I've, I found nothing nothing further from the truth than that. Um, I've been able to develop some really close relationships with kids and, and separate the, the on the court, off the court stuff. And I think, you know, for for every win, you uh, that you remember there's 25 stories you'll remember about just times you guys did something you laughed or, or you overcame something. And it's not anything anybody else will remember, but you and a group of, of 12 guys that hopefully you can get really close with throughout the process.
0: Well, that was, this was awesome. Really enjoyed it. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, Mike Winters, not sure when this airs, but his book's coming out. Uh, the, the Journey lessons from the hardwood and i i look forward to reading through it um you gave me a little sneak peek electronic version here so um i have it so i could read through it a little bit but i know it's based upon what we talked about there's going to be a lot of good stuff in there to help coaches and whether you're a young coach or a veteran coach like myself so appreciate you coming on
1: Appreciate Anybody listening, you can shoot me an email at winnerscoach at gmail.com. Um you can check out www.coachwinners.com. You can contact me through that too. And, and I'm always happy to help. That's kind of the reason behind the book was, was coaching coaches and I'm uh, really passionate about that. So appreciate the time, Mark. Uh, All right. love the podcast. Keep it up.
0: All right, man. Thank you. Hey coach welcome to the basketpedia podcast i'm your host mark hart and on this episode we have coach mike winters of harlem high school coach just recently released a book on his journey on the hardwood so so when we recorded this podcast we discussed his journey and why the book so stay tuned